at Water of Life, it's so good to be with you. I'm Pastor Matt, Senior Director of Family Ministries, and we want to say hi. We're glad that you're here. Also, to our online community, uh, we're so glad that you tuned in. We hope that you enjoy the service. And all the way across the ocean, we want to say hi to our um, Townsville, Australia family. Um, we hope that uh, today is a great time for you as well as you watch service with us. Well, hey, there's so much going on, and we want to be able to um, get to know you. And if you're new or visiting for the first time online or together in person, we want you to get connected. Really easy way to do that. So if you visit Wall Updates, there's a lot of great information for you there. A great way to stay connected on everything that's upcoming here at Water of Life. And the first thing that I want to encourage you about is upcoming this upcoming Friday. It's October 2nd. We have our 14th annual men's retreat uh, conference right here on this campus. Um, you could sign up and register at wallupdates.com. It's absolutely free. The time for that is from 6 to 8 p.m. We have an incredible guest speaker, our very own senior pastor, Danny Carroll, and Jerry Musgrove, who's an evangelist and part of our elder board here at Water of Life. And we would love for you to get signed up and experience experience the men's conference in person right here at Water of Life. Like I said, you can do that on wallupdates.com. There's so much going on, and we want to encourage you, as, as you consider Water of Life your home church, would you consider giving? Um, a great way to do that is by downloading the mobile app. We consider tithes and offerings an act of worship, and uh, we want to make that really easy for you, and an easy way to do that is by downloading the mobile app. You can give securely online and continue the ministry and all that God is doing here at Water of Life. Well, speaking of worship, as we transition into worship, I want to invite our online community, wherever you're at, wherever you're watching, uh, to get comfortable, but not too comfortable, because we want to encourage you and us here to eliminate distractions. As we stand together, I want to invite you to stand together. As you watch at home or wherever you're watching, I want to encourage you at home to stand up as well. Let's prepare our hearts Let's get ready to worship the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and uh, God is on the throne. He is in control, and we want to worship him together. So let's bow our heads, let's join our hearts together, and let's pray and worship together. And Jesus, we come before you, and we thank you for the opportunity to be here, to be watching at home, or wherever we find ourselves today. And God, we invite you into this space into this place, into our hearts, God, that we would lift you up because you're so deserving of our worship. God, we acknowledge that you're in control. And when th things around us seem out of control, remind us in this moment of who you are and what you've done for each of us. So God, we give you our worship and we celebrate together today in Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together.
words that we're about to sing. Just sing them over you right now. Receive your promises, Lord. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Yes. We cast them out, Lord. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Yes. I'm saying, am I more than just the sun?
praise your name. Mm. Fill up our hearts, God. Great is your faithfulness to me. Thank you, Jesus. Great is your faithfulness to me. You never fail, Lord. Great is your to me, oh, 
that you would just be speaking to our hearts. God, what you want us to do. We thank you for your presence. God, and that you could just change us, flip us around from where we came in, where we came in one place, we walk out looking different. And I pray that for each person, God, that is just uh, here in this time, giving of their time and just um, here to just have you speak to us, have an encounter with, with you, God. We just pray that you would speak now in your word as we move forward in this service right now. We just praise your name. In Jesus' name, everyone prays together. Amen. Give him praise one more time. So let's go ahead and get ready for the service. Wave to the people around you. And just uh, for those watching online, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, prepare your hearts right now. Amen. so glad that you're here with us. If you, even if you're not here with us, if you're online with us, we're glad for that too. But um, just want to take a minute and uh, tell you we're in the second part of a series on family. So Pastor Shane did part of it last week. I thought he did an amazing job. It was really great for me because I went on vacation. So that was good. And then this, this evening we have the guy who really authored the book about everything we're going to talk about this weekend. Jim Burns is going to be with us. And next week I'll close up the series and then we're gonna jump into 40 days of prayer. So I wanna to talk to you about that really quick because we're gonna do prayer in the worship center at 5.30 in the morning. So we're gonna do what we've always done. It's just early for us. We usually wait till January and now we're gonna start in October. We're gonna run through November. So we're gonna have nights of prayer. We'll have a couple of nights a week of prayer. I think Tuesdays and Thursday nights. Can't come in the morning, you can come in the evening. We'll socially distance. I wanna invite you to come and join us to pray. So we've got books that'll be out next weekend. We will have them online and we'll have hard copies. We'll have drive-throughs here so you can pick up a book and a prayer journal that you can have with you for the whole journey for the next 40 days. So we're doing a whole bunch of stuff. We have scripture memory cards. We're gonna do a week of fasting. We're gonna do a prayer clock. So I wanna invite you to sign up on the prayer clock and pray. How many of you know we need to be praying right now? I mean, more than ever in your life, we need to pray right now. This is so important, so important, so important for us and for our country. We also want to invite you to get in a small group. And I know a lot of you are like, oh, Pastor Dan, I don't need a small group. This whole thing's going to be geared to small groups. So I'm going to be doing teaching on prayer, and it'll all be in small groups. We'll have videos. So some of you have signed up to host. We're really grateful that you're doing that. Uh, one, and a, simply hosting is just like open your heart, open your home, you know, serve some water, some drinks, and turn on the video. 
I mean, really, that's it. You want to meet in the backyard? You want to meet in the patio? You want to meet in the house? You want to meet uh, virtually online? Uh, any way that you want to do this, we want to get you in a small group for five weeks. Now, some of you are like, but why? Here's why. You need to grow. Come on, help me. Healthy things grow. Is that right? And you need to grow. And you're not going to grow if you just keep sitting on the sidelines. Friends, time to get back in the race. So I want to invite you, get in a small group, host a small group, join a small group, make a difference, and let the Holy Spirit make a difference in you during this time, because I'm really believing for some breakthrough in our country, in our lives, in our church, in the church, friends. We, we need revival. Come on, we need revival. We need to wake up. It's time to get back in the race again, and we need to pray. There's no way to do that without prayer. So we're gonna start on October 10th, and we're gonna have the whole church committed to this. We're gonna be doing it with children's ministry. We're gonna be doing it with youth, all the way, young adults, everybody, all the way through the church for 40 days. So I wanna invite you, we're gonna do a night of prayer where we kick off in there with worship. We're gonna keep everybody distance. And uh, so we might put it on the screen out here. If those of you wanna be outside, you can be outside. And we're gonna close up at the end with a night of prayer when we're done with the thing. So. If you can join a small group, you can text in, you can go online, you can call the office. There's a whole bunch of ways, you know, to, to, to get in here. But just make, listen, make a decision. Because when people tell me, I can't do it. Listen, you can do anything for six weeks. You can. I, I told myself that when I was hiking Mount Kilimanjaro in February. I said, you know, you tell everybody this, quit crying and keep climbing. You know, it's only seven days and only 20,000 feet. Come on. And if I'm as old as I am and I can do that, any of you can get in a small group for six weeks, friends, and pray. How many know you need to do that? And pray. Break up your schedule. Make it a priority. Do the right thing. So finally, I'm done. I'm out of here. But I want to tell you two things really fast before I walk away. Guys, we're gonna gather here next Friday night and kick off. We're gonna have a men's conference here on Friday night. So we wanna invite you to come out on the patio with us. If you haven't signed up, come out on the patio, go online, sign up, and come and join us. So Jim Burns, Jim Burns is an awesome guy. We have so much in common. We just started talking about all the people we know, and Jim's been with us before, but he's gonna come and do a whole conference time with us tomorrow night that some of you really need to go to. It's like, how do you, as a parent, Work with an adult child. Yeah, some of you are like, oh, I need that. <laughs> I need that, you know. No, really, really, it's just a great topic for some of us that need to get there. He is the president of Homeward and director of Homeward Center for Youth and Family at Azusa Pacific University. He primarily writes and speaks on the values of, of home and family and caring for your family. So he, he teaches on marriage, parenting, empowering kids, building healthy leaders. He's got books out by the bookstore at the end of the service. You want to go by the bookstore, pick up a book. You can also sign up for the conference time after service tomorrow night. We'll be doing that here on the patio as well. So would you give up a big, 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 big welcome for Jim Burns right now? Dan, I have told people in the last uh, year that I sort of have a pastor crush on Dan. And then last week, I listened to Shane's message, and now he's got some competition because Shane's message was amazing. So whether you are here in person or whether you're online or in Australia, if you didn't hear last week's message, make sure you hear it. It's a great, great message. And so now I have a pastor crush on both of them, but there you go. I have a number for you. 
I want you to think about this number. Anybody know what the number 936 means? Anybody want to take a guess? 936. Sounds like we're playing bingo or something and we're not. 936. Let me introduce you to my grandson, my now oldest grandson. His name is James. There he is. When James was born, he had 936 weeks until he was going to become an adult. That's all you have. Those of you who have children, those of you who have grandchildren, those of you who are single, those of you who um, are aunties and uncles and Sunday school teachers, what I want to say to you is that this message is an important message for all of us because where kids go today is going to be where our country goes and where the world goes. And it's so important for us to focus on them. When James was born, it just shocked me that I only had 936 weeks to help him nurture until he became an adult. I want to show you Hadley. I think Hadley's really cute. Isn't she beautiful? She's five, and she's got 676 more weeks until she becomes an adult. Anybody here in person have a, someone near a five-year-old? Yeah, lots of hands go up. Could be a grandkid. It could be your own children. Wow, 676 weeks goes by so fast. Here's, uh, here's another one. Go ahead and put it up. There it is. That's Jeremy. He's got, he's 10, by the way, and he's only got 416 more weeks until this kid is going to be launched to adulthood. He's over halfway done. He's only 10. He's not acting like an adult, but the truth of the matter is, is that soon he'll become an adult. And part of our job is to help them become responsible adults, and I would add, who love God. And I don't care if they're five or 10 or two months. It's important for us to have this knowledge in our mind wherever we are with our kids. Oh, I love this one. She's beautiful. She's a senior in high school. Her name's Ashley. She's 17. In 52 weeks, she becomes an adult. Now, will she totally be an adult? No. She'll, she'll probably still have her parents pay for her cell phone and, you know, whatever it might be. But the truth is, at 18, she's an adult, and she'll become, hopefully, a responsible adult. But part of it depends on what we do. That's why I'm so honored, after listening to Shane, knowing some of the things that Dan is going to say next week, I'm so honored to be a part of this family time because life goes by fast and I think for some of us we get so tied up in our jobs and we get so tied up in other things that are very very important but sometimes we miss the most important which is helping our families succeed here watch this video and see how fast time goes by
so fast. For many of us, what we sometimes realize is, oh, we all have regrets, but sometimes it's because we perhaps didn't put enough energy into our kids when it comes to the spiritual side, and that's what we're gonna talk about tonight. Generation to generation, the Bible is filled with that thought. In fact, the scripture says that a man not only will leave his father and mother, but be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. But notice that it says leave, and the kids will leave. And also the scripture says that when it comes to generation, that we inherit the sins of a previous generation to the third and fourth generation. I did, you did. I wanna ask you a question. Online, I wanna ask you a question in person. How many of you know the name of your great, 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 great grandparents? Anybody here where I can see your hands? Knows the name? No, one, one person, great, maybe. We got a question like that. But you know what the truth is, is that they, they influenced you. So when Kathy and I got married 46 years ago, we were two dysfunctional kids from dysfunctional families. We had become Christian. We were the only Christians in our family, the only Christians who had gone to college. And we got married one week after college, and we thought it was going to be easy, and then we found out it was not easy because two dysfunctional kids kind of came together. And even though we were Christian, the marriage was rough. And we made a decision about a year into it that we would become the transitional generation. We put a stake in the ground, and it's been one of the greatest decisions of our life and one of the hardest decisions of our life, and we're not finished yet, and it's not always easy. But what we wanted to say, tonight especially, is that as we talk about family from even last week or even next week, that you can be the transitional generation, and it's never too late to make some good decisions. That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, to do that, I want to share with you a scripture. But again, I'm going to ask you a question, and even if you're online, I want you to kind of think about that. What is the most often quoted scripture in the Bible? Anybody here, even close up, want to shout it out? Shout it out. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. No. I felt, she's such a nice woman, I felt bad telling her that she was wrong. I actually know this answer, and I don't know everything about the Bible, but I do know that it's not that one. Anybody want to throw another one out? Psalm 23, no, but a good idea. Anybody want to throw another one out? Children obey your parents. Children, obey your parents. That may be quoted often in some of our homes, but it's not the most often quoted scripture. Here it is. It's actually found in Deuteronomy. It's kind of a, it's kind of a, a trick question because the reason I say that it's the most often quoted uh, scripture is because every morning in an Orthodox Jewish home it's quoted and every evening today it was quoted in the morning. It will be quoted at night. At Ruth Ginsburg's funeral, no doubt it was quoted because at every funeral of every Jew who's ever lived, it's been quoted. It's quoted at a birth. It's quoted when people die. And here it is, and it'll sound familiar to many of you, it may not, but it actually is the roadmap for what a healthy family looks like. Here it is. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That sounds familiar to some of us. It goes on to say something even more familiar that Jesus quoted. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. So that scripture right there says there's one God and, and, and stay faithful to him. It goes on to say, these commandments that I give you today are to be written upon your hearts, impress them on your children. So in other words, we live it and we impress it on our children. It's the job of family to do that, see? It then even tells you how to do it as we go to the next uh, point, and it says, talk about it when you sit at home. Notice that it doesn't just say church, or for them it would have been synagogue. It says at home. You want to almost circle that word, home. When you sit at home, when you walk along the road, 
They walked, we drive. But they walked. There was not cars, of course, in that day. When you lie down, when you get up, that's all about the home. It even then says, tie them as symbols on your hands. And what those symbols on your hands would be meaning that you're taking God to work with you. You're taking him to your vocation. Bind them on your foreheads, which means you're putting God into your mind. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And so today, if you were in Israel, in front of every home, there's something called a mezuzah. You can Google this later and look it up if you want. But a mezuzah is typically on the door frame now, and it basically says God is welcome, but guess what's inside every mezuzah? Millions of them. The Shema. And the Shema in Hebrew means to listen. And so what does it teach us again? It teaches us that the roadmap for us to have a good life and a right life, and actually the roadmap for our family, is loyalty and fidelity to God. And so it's our job as parents. For example, in the church, there's a wonderful children's ministry here at Water of Life. There's an incredible, incredible youth ministry as well. But it's not the primary job of children's ministry and the primary job of youth ministry to do it, even though you got a great one and you'd be smart to have your kids involved. But it's actually your job. The church, they'll get, what, 40, 60, 80 hours a year. Whereas with your home, it's well over 3,000 hours. So you want to teach them loyalty and fidelity to God, and we do this even in our own fallen nature. Secondly, it also teaches you how to transmit faith and love and that it comes from home. That's what that scripture said. So we transmit, what do we do? We live it and we impress it on our children. Or for any of you who are like me who have grandchildren, we impress it on our grandchildren. We even got a better shot at that sometimes. I know when our kids were younger, they're now in their 30s and I've got three grandkids, but when our kids were younger, Kathy and I said, we'll focus on, on three things. We'll try to help them find their mission. We weren't gonna tell them the mission. I wanted to, but we, that doesn't work. We'll help them find their mission, or meaning their purpose in life. And I would say that my kids took all through the 20s to even figure that out. And today, um, Christy, my oldest, works in the inner city. She uh, is a teacher. It's her calling. It's her passion. Uh, Rebecca has a master's degree in clinical psychology. She lives in New York City. It's part of her passion is to help people. Um, my daughter Heidi, who just had a baby, she has a passion and a calling. She came um, out with a major heart complication. She was the 100th baby in the world to have uh, a radical heart surgery called transposition of the greater vessels. And so she has something called Project Happy Hearts, and she helps kids who have congenital heart issues. You know what? They didn't have that when they were younger, but it was Kathy's and my job to kind of help them learn how to find their mission or their purpose. Also, mate, hey. I got three daughters. I wanted to choose their, their mates. That never worked. It just never worked, okay? But I wanted to also teach them how do, how, do you, how do you have a good relationship? What does a good marriage look like? You know, that doesn't oftentimes come only from the church. The church is going to do that. But it comes from home, see? Not only in just our modeling, if we happen to be married, I realize many of you aren't, but if you are married, then it becomes part of the modeling, but it was, it was the mate. And so they had to figure it out. I wrote a book called Getting Ready for Marriage, and many churches use it in their premarital, and people will always ask me on media or whatever, they'll say, you know, what's the secret to a successful marriage? And I say, marry well, be smart, see? Well, I need to teach my kids that then also master. We have a phrase at Homeward where I work that says 85% of the people who make a commitment to Jesus Christ make it before age 18 or they never will. That doesn't mean you don't have adult conversions. There are adult conversions here. There's adult conversions online. There's adult conversions that happen at Water of Life all the time. But the majority of people who make a commitment to Jesus Christ make it before age 18. And so as parents, you have this chance in those 96 
936 weeks to actually help them find Christ. And, you know, it's going to be up and down. When they're younger, they're going to be all excited about it. As they get older, it might be boring, or they think the youth group has clicks, or, you know, they begin to wander or whatever. But the truth is, as the scripture says, that if you train up a child in the way that they would go, in the end, they will return. You know, our pastor oftentimes says, God is never too early and he's never too late. I've thought at times with my own kids, he was a little late, but I'm not God. See what I'm saying? And so sometimes we do need patience and we need trust that, you know, God is, is who he is, and, and he is. And then... The last aspect of that was, how do we keep a constant mindfulness of the teaching and the presence of God? And that's a question that Shane actually talked a little bit about last week, but I want to take it a little further too, is that it, it actually starts in the home, and it's also intentional. Now, fascinating enough, this, is, this scripture was not new to Jesus. You know, Jesus made a statement that all of us as, as Christians know, probably, and we always think he maybe just come up, came up with this, but what we forget is he actually was being tested. It's found in the book of Matthew 22, 36 through 40. And the, the teachers of law and the, the Jewish leaders were testing him because who is this guy? Because he was making a ruckus back then. And he was kind of sometimes fighting against the political uh, group at that point and some of the religious leaders. And they said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? They all knew. They were all in agreement. And so Jesus said something that actually we sometimes think is amazing, but he just quoted what every Jew 2,000 years ago in Palestine would have said. He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And when he said that, they probably went, oh, okay, he's one of us. They all answered it that way because the Shema was the, the cornerstone of the roadmap for the Jewish faith. But then Jesus did something amazingly radical, and don't miss this because Jesus is radical. Then Jesus went on to say, this is the first and greatest commandment. They all agreed. But then he said, the second is like it. Now notice that he's going to skip away from the Shema. This is found in Deuteronomy 19. And he said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then he went on to say, the law and the prophets hang with these two commandments. Well, actually, that was so radical that it could have got him killed. It would have made some people very mad because he moved away from the Shema. And the fascinating thing to that is that for our family, we have that hanging in our house because we wanted to teach our kids that you love the Lord with all of your heart, mind, body, and soul, and that you love your neighbor as you love yourself, assuming that you have self-care because there's people in here who probably don't care much for themselves because of the way they treat themselves. And so in thinking through that scripture, think about this, Jesus, born in a manger, you know, a couple more months and we'll be really singing that and talking about it. But think about Mary picking up her baby and what was she doing? She was reciting the Shema. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus, the first scripture Jesus would have heard, no doubt, was the Shema. And so he was able to answer that pretty easy. So oftentimes when we think of discipleship, we think about discipleship taking place in the church, but discipleship happens intentionally and discipleship happens in the home. In fact, the greatest definition of discipleship in my mind is found in 2 Timothy 2.2 where Paul said to Timothy, his protege, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust a reliable men and women who will also teach others. So part of your job actually is to disciple your kids, disciple your grandkids. Part of your job is to disciple uh, the, as an auntie and as an uncle. And you don't do it with harsh, you know, old style. You, you do it partly by your life and your lifestyle. 
But our call is to do that. Kathy and I didn't understand that. We weren't raised in the church. My parents never had family devotions or we never really talked about God. Sometimes we talked about God by using his name as a cuss word, but that wasn't, and my parents were okay. They just didn't happen to be Christian. See? And so I remember we realized when our kids were about nine, seven, and five, um, that we need to do family devotions. And so I said, I'll do family devotions. I mean, I'm the guy, at that point, I was a youth worker. I was speaking to about a quarter of a million uh, high school kids a year traveling. And so I went, I can do my kids. So I started doing it. I didn't know what to do. So I would speak to them for about 20 minutes and the kids would go, this is boring. You know, we, can we stop now? And, you know, all kinds of great stuff for my self-image. And uh, finally, my, cat, my wife, Kathy, who has a background in early childhood, she has an education in early childhood, and she also works with kids who have autism and special needs and things. And she said, hey, no offense to you, Jim, but it's not working. The kids are bored. They don't like family devotions. And being the passive-aggressive uh, husband and father that I am, I said, well, fine, then you do it. She says, as a matter of fact, I will. So she never used the word family devotions again, because that was a bad word, two words. So what she said is, hey, we're going to, Girls, tonight, we're going to do a show. We're going to put on a drama. We're going to act out a play, and I want you guys to be a part of it. And then I see her going upstairs to Christy's room with the girls following, and she's making me do this. I don't even know it's family devotion time. And she has a, a bucket of red vines, and she's got chocolate. Totally not fair. I was not using candy before, and I'd been speaking to them, and now my kids are looking at the chocolate and the uh, red vines. And she said, okay, let's do a play. There's a Bible story book, and she said, you guys pick out a play. Do any play you want. So Christy, who's the boss, because she's the oldest, goes to page one. It's the story of Adam and Eve. So she goes, we'll do this one. And then the girls all got in an argument because nobody wanted to be a boy. And Adam is a boy. So I'm thinking, Kathy, this is not working well. When I went into what it says in the Greek, you know, and my kids went like this, now you're, you're having them have a big argument. So finally, I just took over, and I said, Christy, you're the oldest. Adam is older than Eve by just a little bit. You be the boy. And she goes, well, can I draw a mustache on my face? I went, absolutely. Found out later that she drew a, a permanent marker mustache, and it was a problem for the next day at school, but that's another problem and another story. So uh, then the two girls start arguing. Now, Pastor Dan would never do this, but I changed the Bible just a little bit, so please have patience with me. I was, I was desperate because they both wanted to be Eve, and so I said, Rebecca, you are Eve, and Heidi, you are Yvette, Eve's little sister. And Kathy goes, she doesn't have a little sister in the Bible. And I went, she does now. So we send them to, the, uh, to, to our room, and they could get dressed. Kathy's leading this, and she goes, you can get dressed up, you can do whatever you want, and then you come out, read the scripture, read the, the, the story. You know, she called it scripture, but it was really a Bible story, and uh, then come back. So Christy comes back and she has a baseball cap on, which dad always has. She's playing Adam. So, you know, there's a little bit of this imitation of her parents. She's got on a flowered shirt that is just hideous, but it's one of those, you know, bright, bright flowered shirts that are kind of now coming back. But they were from Hawaii someplace. Somebody had given it to me, and I don't know that I'd ever worn it, and it's kind of down at her knees. And I said, well, Christy, why are you dressed like this? And she said, Garden of Eden, Dad. And the closest thing to the Garden of Eden is Hawaii in her mind. So there she is. Heidi comes out next, she's my five-year-old at the time, and she is in a, a hula skirt that we had got her when she was three. So she has, you know, the hula skirt, which is kind of straw, it's not tied very well, because one of the other girls had to tie it, and you can see her pink panties, and she's got two coconuts just dangling here that are way, way too big for the little five-year-old. So she walks by, I place them strategically where a five-year-old should have them placed, and it ended up being one on her shoulder and one hanging down, and she says, is it time? And I said, well, time for what? 
And she said, I'm supposed to do a hula dance. So I'm thinking, how unspiritual is this? This is the most ridiculous thing. I kind of look at Kathy. I take a red vine, which I'm happy about, and then I eat some more chocolate while we're waiting for them. And so all of a sudden, she starts to do the hukilau. Everybody loves a hukilau. And so now she's doing the hukilau, which I don't think is in the Bible, but then Yvette isn't in the Bible either, right? So then Rebecca comes out, my middle child, with an emphasis on middle. She's wearing nothing. She has no clothes on whatsoever. This kid is stark naked, okay? And she's the kid who at 18 months would, you know, take off her diaper, throw it out, and then streak someplace. So that is her anyway. I hope she doesn't do it now. So anyway, she just is the defensive one also, and she has her hands on her hips, and she stands there. And I said, well, Rebecca, tell us about what, well, actually, you're not wearing, you know? And she goes, well, it's right here in the Bible. She's pointing to the Bible story book. She didn't have any clothes. Thank God in the Bible story book, at least there were palm leaves in the strategic parts. And she goes, she didn't have any clothes. That's what it says. I went, okay. I look at Kathy. She's kind of smirking. She looks at me. And I said, okay, Becca, you can, you can do the play without any clothes on. But if they ever do this play at church, you've got to wear clothes. And you know what? It changed the way we started having these little family devotions. It was 20 minutes. We, we called it KISS, K-I-S-S, keep it short and simple. Today I spent 10 minutes with James because they're living with us for another eight days. And uh, our, my grandson, he's five now, and uh, we did a Bible app, and it was really cool. It was only 10 minutes. But of my family, I had knee surgery 10 days ago. Of my family, when I came back, you know who prayed for me? It was James. And it's because every day we do the little Bible app. And, and James is learning. Is he going to be perfect? No. All I'm saying is, is that discipleship and leadership happen in the home. See what I'm saying? We have a story, those of us who are in student ministry, those of us who are in children's ministry, about 65% of kids who are in the church, in a good church like Water of Life, they're going to leave after high school. That's what the latest statistic says. It's frightening. And we need to be frightened. But here's another part that's interesting. A friend of mine named George Barna, another friend of mine named Richard Ross in Fort Worth, both do two studies, and they come back with the same answer. There is a 300% better chance kids stay in the faith and stay in the church if there are faith conversations in the home. And no one says you need to know Greek and Hebrew. But what they want is those faith conversations. So what I'm hoping is every time a siren goes by and James and I stop and we pray for whoever those people are, that that's a faith conversation, see? And I'm not saying I always do it perfectly, and I don't think his parents do it perfectly, and I know Kathy doesn't do it perfectly either, but what we've had to realize is that discipleship and leadership happen in the home. So how do you do this? Every one of you, again, some of you have kids, some of you don't have kids yet, some of you are kids, but it's so important for us to hear this, we lead. I think we've gotten away from leading in the home. We're allowing others to influence our kids in ways that a previous generation would not have done, but we've got to lead. And I think first and foremost, we lead with integrity. You know, the Bible says whoever walks in integrity walks securely, right? And I want to say something, that if you'll walk in integrity, and by the way, that's not perfection. That's authenticity. It's doing the best you can. It's being open. Sometimes it's apologizing. If you lose it, you apologize. But when you walk in integrity, then guess what? You'll have kids and grandkids who will walk in integrity. Okay. I don't know what your integrity issue is. I mean, I don't know what, what it is. You know what it is for me? It's my marriage. Remember I told you, Kathy and I got married 46 years ago. We write books on marriage. We speak on marriage. Today, I was speaking at a Refreshing Your conference, uh, Marriage Conference virtually. And yet, what's fascinating about it is it's the issue for us, our integrity. Because, you know, 
when you look at, I'm not moving this into a marriage issue, but I am saying that for us, for marriage, uh, the least developed area of intimacy for a lot of people in marriage, it's not physical, it's not emotional, it's actually spiritual. So since this is on energizing your family's spiritual life, let's talk about that. So Kathy and I, gosh, we've been in ministry all of our marriage. And yet, I, and I have prayed with hundreds, maybe thousands of people. And Kathy has. And Kathy leads a Bible study every week. Right now it's virtually, but she's been leading the same Bible study for maybe 12 years. She's always been somebody who's involved in it, but for us it wasn't working. And then one time we asked people, what do you do? There were some mentors in our life, and they said, well, we spend 20 minutes a week. And I went, a week? At first I thought that was really, you know, only 20 minutes. And I thought, well, we're not always doing that. And so we leaned into it, and we, we call it our closer time. I remember coming out of the, the driveway of being with these people, and they talked about their 20-minute thing, and Kathy said, I really want that. So we made a commitment to do it. We ended up even writing a book called Closer, where couples can, you know, spend 20 minutes, kind of in a guided prayer time, 40 days of prayer. That changes things. And I don't remember what we do, and I don't think every time, every closer moment that we've had for the last years is what helps, I mean, has changed Kathy's in my life in every way. There's times when I don't remember, but I don't remember what I ate for two weeks ago, but it nurses me for the day. And for some of us, including Kathy and I, we needed to have more of a spiritual intimacy. And I think some of the anointing that has come in, in our own life with our family and, and in our ministry, I think it comes from that, you know, 20 minutes. You could give 20 minutes. I mean, an hour a week is only 100 minutes. See? 100 minutes is 1% is of, your, of your week. I said that wrong, but you got it. We had somebody at our homeward event once where we, his name is Dr. David Stoop. He's an awesome guy. He's been a mentor in my life and, and Kathy's and his wife, Jan, is the same. And he said something that I'll never forget, thinking about integrity. He said, you know, the divorce rate is, talking at a marriage conference, he said the divorce rate is about one out of two. And, and I get that because 2.1 million marriages this last year, there was 978,000 divorces. So it's, you know, close. He said, a latest study out of Columbia University, not a Christian study, of people who pray together daily, the divorce rate moves to one out of 1,100. That's incredible. No, so for us, we had to decide that that was an integrity issue. Another aspect of this in terms of us leading in the family, and this is what I thought Shane did so well last week, and that's you lead with margin. Most of us are too busy. The last time I was here, I actually spoke to this issue, but you lead with margin, see? And what's fascinating about margin is too many of us are just simply too busy. It's this breathless pace in which we live our lives. And what's fascinating about this breathless pace in which we live our lives is that then we miss some of the perspective of doing things spiritually. Like, for example, when I was talking about discipleship in the home, if I don't have any margin, then I probably won't talk to my kids about morals and values, and I'll allow the secular world to talk to them about morals and values because they're glad to do it. See? So when we think of discipleship, sure, it's teaching them Bible stories, but it's also leading them with morals and values. As some of you may know, I have written in the world of sexuality for students from a Christian perspective. And all research says, by the way, this is both liberal and conservative, all research says that the more positive value-centered sex education kids receive from home, the less promiscuous they'll be and the less confused they'll be. 
And yet, as Christians, sometimes we gripe about what's going on within the secular world and what's happening in schools, and I totally get that, and then we remain silent with our kids, see? In fact, let me, let me ask you who are here, and you can raise your hand if you want, if you're online, but we're not going to see it anyway, but if you're here, how many of you received good, positive, healthy sex education from your parents when you were growing up? Just put your hands up. Oh my gosh, it's like six of you, okay? That's not good. Because what happened was, you didn't receive good, healthy sex education, so then that means that we don't do as good a job with our next generation. And again, we don't do that when we have no margin in our life because we're so busy juggling and, and, and moving around. You see, again, it's this breathless pace in which we live our lives. You know what? I want to say this to you, and it just, just bugs me when I first heard it, because I get busy. A lot of busy people are broken people. And a lot of super busy, overcommitted families are broken families. Shane spoke to this well when he talked about pacing. And I'm not saying that we all move to, you know, Idaho and live in a commune. No, we've got to figure out how to do this here and now. Because if we don't, we have the potential of losing a generation of kids. And, and, and literally, it's, it's the margin. I know that as I still think about margin, I know that... It's important for me to, to, to realize that if I have margin in my life, I like me. And if I don't have margin in my life and I'm dangerously tired, I don't like me. There's a man that is you know, very familiar uh, and a friend, I'm sure, of Dan's and, and a person who's been a real mentor and hero in my life. His name is Jack Hayford. And I was speaking at the Promise Keepers Pastors Conference at Diamondback Stadium the last time they had one, which was some time ago. And Jack was the pastor of ceremony, or the master of ceremony, they called it. And I was sitting there, and the band was playing, and I was going to come on, and, and Jack and I were talking, and I preached at his church somewhat be right before that, and so we'd had some great time together. And I said, Jack, this, now he's in his 80s, but he was probably in his 70s, and I said, Jack, I mean, he's an international leader. And I said, Jack, what is the secret to your leadership? I always ask people this question. Jack didn't pause. He just said, you know, Jim, it's not what I've chosen to do. It's what I've chosen not to do. I said, unpack that. And I'm almost getting ready to go on, and yet I'm intrigued with what he's going to say. And he said, well, you see, I had to say no to good things to say yes to the most important things. Pastor Jack, what are the most important things? My relationship with God. My relationship with my wife, and he names his wife, who he's now just lost. She's just passed away. My relationship with my kids, he named every kid. My relationship with my grandkids, he named every grandkid. He still had time to do amazing, effective things, but he put his priorities in place. See, When I live with margin, I can ask these three questions and answer them better. Number one, and I, I wish I had them written down for you because this is worth writing down. Shane did a good job because he had some questions you know, that were written down. Number one is, do I like the person I'm becoming? Do you like the person you're becoming? Number two, this will tell you if you have margin or not, probably. And I ask this as a person who's in Christian ministry, but I'm going to ask this for you, too. Is the work of God I'm doing destroying the work of God in me? Or in other words, is my heart for God growing or shrinking? There have been times in my life where I've had to say, my heart for God is shrinking because I'm so busy. It's not sustainable. And if that's the story that we have in our family, it's the story with our kids, too. The last question goes this way. Am I only giving my wife and my children, my grandchildren now, my emotional scraps? I'm not going to give my emotional scraps to you, but I'm, am I willing to do that to my family? 
And if that's the case, because we're so busy, then that's not going to work. So we lead with integrity in our families. We lead with margin, see. We also lead with the eternal perspective. So again, what we're talking about here is eternal. Some things aren't eternal, but this is eternal. My dad passed away and loved this man. I mentioned I came from an alcoholic home. Dad was an alcoholic. He became a Christian at 78 years old. And I wouldn't say that he was ready to be the assistant to Billy Graham even at his death, but you know, he became a Christian. I was so pleased. In fact, I had kind of given up even praying for him. It was embarrassing to say. And he wasn't a bad guy. He was a functioning alcoholic, but he didn't really do relationships well. And I got a call from my brother, and my brother who said we knew Dad was very fragile. He had fallen on his uh, walker, and he broke his hip. And he said, the doctor wants to talk to you, Jim. And so I went in, Dad, the doctor, and he said, I can do a hip replacement, but he has to stand up. He said, Bob my dad's name, do you, wanna, do you want this? And my dad said, I do. And he said, now you're gonna have to stand up or you're gonna die of pneumonia. And I said, dad, what do you wanna do? And he said, I wanna do it. So they did the surgery, it was successful. They put him in a convalescent hospital and he never got up. So we put him into hospice at the convalescent hospital. One day I'm there and I'm just sitting with my dad. Nobody else is there, usually there were people there. And all of a sudden a woman comes in bouncing. Her, she was a little Filipino physical therapist and she says, Bob, uh, it's time for physical therapy. And I'm thinking, no, it's not. He's dying. <laughs> he can't do physical therapy. He can't get up. But I was kind of curious to see what she was going to do. <laughs> I'm that kind of guy. So I just, she goes, come on, Bob, get up. And so dad tries to get up. He's that kind of guy. And I'm like going over and helping him because he's going to fall on the bed. And then we're going to have big problems. And she's looking at her, at her list. And she goes, oh, my goodness, I, wrong, wrong, wrong room here. So she said, Bob, this guy looks like you. Are you related? And he said, he's my son. His name is Jim, and I'm proud of him. And at that point, my eyes welled up with tears to hear my dad say, I'm proud. And then he said, and I have three other sons, Bob, Ron, and Bill, and I'm proud of them too. And, and then I'm like, wait a minute. I'm the youngest. All of us who are youngest children, any youngest children here in life? Okay, well, you know. We, we know we're good. We know that our parents, you know, we're the parents' favorite. But, you know, so I went, honestly, he... My brothers, they've made some pretty bozo decisions. I went, how like God? I mean, he loves us all. He's proud of us. He's proud of you. And then he keeps talking. She says, well, how did, how did you break your hip? And he said, it was a motorcycle accident. <laughs> Actually, it was a walker accident. But she looks at me and I said, well, that happened when I was in second grade. And he kind of went through, he didn't know how to stop my brother's motorcycle, he'd never been on it, and he was testing it when my brother wasn't around, and he went through our patio door and he landed in our living room with a motorcycle. So I come home at second grade, mom's not there, first time I'd ever remembered this, and there's a motorcycle there with gas and oil and some blood. I didn't know what happened, but about that moment my aunt comes in and you know, takes me away. And so we kind of laughed about that. And then he said to her, I'm looking forward to being with God in heaven. And I don't know what was going on with her, but her eyes welled up with tears. And he said, I have no regrets. And I thought to myself, wow, I have regrets. So I go out with the lady, and she goes, you are a blessed person to have a dad like that. And I went, I am. And there were times when I didn't really feel that. I go back in, and I said, Dad, I wanted to get it straight with my brothers. I said, Dad, you said you were proud of all of us? He said, oh, I'm so proud of you, Jimmy. And I'm so proud of Ron and Bob and Bill. My children. 
I went, how like God? I said, you said you had no regrets? No. Why would I have regrets? I mean, it's more your work than mine, but, you know, Jesus came into my life and I've been set free. So why would I keep focusing on the bad that I did? And I did some bad, but I'm so grateful for his forgiveness. I'm happy to, that I'm going to be with him soon. Three days later, he was. But dad understood something at the end of his life, and it was the eternal perspective. And I think we as parents and as grandparents and as aunties and uncles and singles and students, I think we have to understand that it's a right relationship with God and a right relationship with our family. That's first and foremost. And when we do that, is life going to be perfect? No. Is life going to be totally happy? No. Why? Because we're, we're sinful creatures. But I think that's what we do, and it's generation to generation. You have a chance, no matter what your age, no matter what your situation is, you have a chance to be that transitional generation. But to do it, you do it with the Shema. And you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, body, and soul. And then you're going to love your neighbor as you love yourself, and we're going to move it to what Jesus called, we'll call it the Jesus Creed. Are we good? If you've never made a commitment to Christ, or if you're, if you're drifting, or if your family's in a mess and you need prayer. I know that Matt's gonna come up and tell you what to do, but I just want you to know that this is the day. And if you're watching this online, and if there's somebody else in the room and you need to make it right, then you grab their hands and you pray. And then join the 40 days of prayer and say that in 40 days, you can have a habit that's very different and much better if you choose. But you gotta first choose to take that step and pray, and pray means that you're giving it over to God. And by the way, the power is not in the prayer. The power is in the one who hears the prayer, our Lord. Almighty God, thank you so much for a chance to be together. Thank you for the privilege it is to think once again about family, and some of us have some deep pain in our family. But thank you for the reminder that you are the God of families and that you heal brokenness. And God, I pray for each person here and online that as we focus on our family, that we would give our family to you and that you would give us guidance and direction. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. Thanks so much, Jim. And as we close our time together, we want to encourage you uh, to reflect and to respond. And, and it's going to pop up on the screen behind me, but, but weekly we're trying to encourage you online and together in person to reflect and to respond. And, and the questions are simply this. How are you leading with integrity, like Jim talked about, with margin and with an eternal perspective? And what about the Jesus Creed that he read in Matthew 22 grabs your attention? Those are really good uh, things to respond to. And as you're watching online at home, I want to encourage you this week to respond. Pastor Dan talked about the 40 days of prayer. Would you respond by, by praying about signing up, joining a small group? And maybe you start your day with Matthew 22 as a prayer opportunity asking God to give you direction on how he might want you to lead your family. If you're watching online, you can take a snapshot of that, get out your phones, uh, take a picture of that, uh, just a reminder to help you engage this week. I want to encourage you to do that. If you're watching online, I want to encourage you, we have uh, pastors available online for prayer. 
You can click the prayer tab. You can call us at the church. We would love to pray for you. And those of us in person, in the family lobby, right to my left, like Jim talked about, we are available to pray for you. We have pastors and our ministry leaders that would love to partner with you and ask God to do what only he can do in your life and in my life. I want to encourage you to do that. Well, hey, the call is to, to love God and to love others and to love our family well. Let's do that together this week. Have a great week. We pray that you have a blessed week, and we'll see you again next weekend. Go in peace.